I'm Adam Rappaport, and this is the Bon Appetit Foodcast. All right, this week we have on Amir Khalib Thompson, a.k.a. Questlove, a.k.a. drummer and co-frontman of The Roots, also known as the house band for The Tonight Show. Amir just released, I want to say his fifth book and his first cookbook called Mixtape Potluck. Uh, Quest will be the first to tell you that he's he's not a chef, not really a cook, but he has lots of friends who are from professional chefs to other artists, musicians, entertainers. Uh, he called upon them to each contribute a recipe to form a sort of edible mixtape. And we also talk about his first book on food called Something to Food About, in which he interviewed prominent chefs such as uh, Daniel Hume, Michael Salmanoff, Dominique Crenn about their creative process and how it syncs up with his and other artists. And we talk about creativity in general on this podcast. Uh, we talk about his favorite Philly cheesesteak spots because he's from Philly and a lot, lot more. All right, here we go. I like the fact that you know your way around a microphone. That's an I'd... obvious statement, but... I'm I'm forty nine percent creative and fifty one percent suit. <laughs> and the problem is, it's a good now, combo. My fellow creatives know I'm a suit now. So one time, Bismarck he chastised me. He's like, "Hey, yo, Quest, yo, man, when you when you when you turn into a suit, man?" And I was just like, "Dog, I've always been a suit. Like someone has to organize. You know, you can be creative and organized at the same time." So. That's also, I kind of like, that's the, that 51%, 49%, as far as I understand, is like the Vegas formula. Like, that's how the casinos stay in business. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty slim margin, but when there's that many millions of dollars being exchanged, that it, slim margin ends up adding up. And it makes you, it makes me, the sucker, still feel like yeah. a winner. <laughs> but that's my, I, we're recording, I guess, but that's my, I kind of look, that's my sort of um, life mantra, actually, now. It's like, as long as you're doing 51% of your life is fun. Forty nine percent is still going to drive you crazy and be annoying, and but you just got like, hey, I'm still coming out ahead. A See, bit. I'm glad you said fifty one fun because okay, well, right now I'm at a transformative stage of my life. You know, fifty is like around the corner, and mm-hmm. I know. Well, I mean, just in general, coming from where I came from, especially as a, a survivor of, of '90s hip hop environment ask anyone that was actively around anybody associated with death row records or bad boys especially during the 94 to 97 uh civil war that you know in my early 20s the the main goal in life was just to not get shot in the club yeah the club nine times out of ten hip hoppers you you enter entertainment as a means of survival so it's it's hook or crook, you know, do or die. You you gotta, you know, I mean, Biggie once rapped that you know you either sling a rock or you got a wicked jump shot, or or you saying rhymes on the block. That's not necessarily my narrative. So I I think there's like a small percentage of people that like actually enter into this art form just as a means of expression. Not saying that, I, you know, there was a better option. I mean, yeah, I could have went to school and all that stuff, but um, it's just the idea, Wu-Tang invented the idea of called, quote, eating good, mm-hmm. and eating good means successful. So, so it's almost like a, a, a it's almost like a, a badge of honor to kind of have a pot belly in, in your, 
Yeah, you're prosperous. And, and your former formative yeah. hip hop, it's like, yo, yo, you eating good? Yeah. I see you eating good, which basically means that you're not starving, because you know, like growing up in poverty, it can that can definitely be part of your narrative, like not having food to eat and that sort of thing. So, um, because everything is done excessively, you know, I'm I'm more than certain that. Patron wasn't created to be consumed in one fell swoop, like under an hour, like two bottles straight. You yeah. know, it's supposed to be <laughs> consumed responsibly, as they say. Yeah, like months <laughs> at a time. You know, have a shot here, a shot there, but that sort of thing. So, I mean, as a result, um, it's catching up to a lot of us, and all too often, I mean, the fact that Chuck D, Ice T, Flavor Flav have successfully gotten to 60 is a miracle. So you're, you're coming up on 50 in what, about a year? I'm coming up on 50 uh, in 2021. So, and so as as a result, which leads me to what we were uh, talking about with 5149, there's a book that I discovered called uh, The Gene Keys. And, you know, it's it's there's a chapter in there where they speak of... Um, there's two ways to approach life. You can most of us approach life uh, through fear, you know, and that was definitely the narrative of my life in the beginning, like from the roots, from childhood, navigating the the the, the correct path to walk to school to avoid the bully, um, even to my career. Like, okay, well, I always I used to have three shows planned just in case something messed up, like just in case we get heckled, go to this song. Or if the audience is not moving, then I'm going to switch this show around, do the big hit single first and that sort of thing. Don't you think, it's interesting because I think there's those people who are really successful who always think they're one step away from losing their job and they that kind of motivates them and lights a fire under them. That I was like, that person. Yeah. Which is which is why, I mean, you know, the, I mean, it's cute to be like, yeah, I got 14 jobs. Like I teach college, I have a radio show, I do food thing, I do Fallon, I score movies, I got the roots, I got a DJ gig. But really, it's because cookbooks. Don't forget cookbook. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, Hamilton. I can go on, but there's the reason why I've been obsessive. It started with 21, and then once I realized I had to keep a girlfriend, I had to whittle it down. So now it's it's kissing maybe 12 jobs, and I'm trying to get it to seven. You know what I mean? Like literally saying no to something yeah. is one of the hardest things that I had to learn. So that said, um, I think it's just that need to have security to know. Because, you know, even getting a record deal right after high school, I thought this would be over by 1999. You know what I mean? And well, Yeah, if you look at the average career, whether it's a pop star or hip-hop star, they've got their six, five years, years yeah, right. of like they have the one year where they're huge, and then they kind of milk that for a while. And you then... would have never, ever told me that I still might be, not even a thing, but just a thought, a speck, by but the age of that, 48, But 49. that's where the suit comes in, because you're also thinking as a career. Let me ask you this. So then, coming up, how differently do you eat now? Do you have like a of someone who cooks for you? Are you minding? Yeah. Your, you, you had talked in another interview about doing meditation and that sort of giving you a mental clarity. So, so what you're, about food? you're the first time that I'm actually talking in, in retrospect uh, from what I was last year. Um, so as I said, last year I was, before then I was fear first and nothing. So my new F word is now faith, which 
it's still a, a learning curve for me. Like the the idea of bungee jumping into a situation that you don't know if you're safe or not. So now I'm trying to make fun what you said or faith the 51 percent and the other 49 instead of the opposite, which I was really a 70 percent to 30 percent. I was probably at my worst. I'll I'll say that I use the excuse of the excessive amount of quote research from something the food about of which you know like during during the height of doing something the food about especially with um with 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 daniel daniel whom whom like allowing me into the the secret room upstairs like the test kitchen at 11 madison yeah to figure out what uh uh you know next year's dish is going to be or whatever experiments they're working on upstairs I mean, it was just to the point where Eleven Madison was like turned into like my Burger King. <laughs> like you're only supposed to that's eat a, at Eleven that's Madison. That's a pricey like, burger, though. Yeah, yeah, like once a year. Yeah, once a year, yeah. maybe like three times within five year range. Yeah. But then it's like, ah, I'm starving. Was this self realization, or did someone have to intervene and say, "Hey, Mary, we should talk"? You know what my my current girlfriend nuanced it in such a way that it was a sucker punch that it was seven hours later before I realized. Mm. Hey, wait a minute. What she mean by, you know what I mean? Like she just caught me at a low point. Like I was I was doing bad. I'll I'll say around like yeah, October of last year, I was like 410 pounds. That's crazy. So then how um, so what you do? What what how did you start that journey? Well, number 1, I got a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> I got a therapist who who taught me uh something about, you know, panic eating. It's it's weird, like with other vices, like if it's alcohol, if it's drugs, if it's sex, if it's anger, if it's kind of the vices that are like frowned upon in society, then that's like a real thing. But it's yeah. like, how how wimpy do you feel when sugar is your thing? You ever, you ever see um, what's DiCaprio's film? Uh, bas- you ever see Basketball Diaries? Yeah. Okay, so there's a there's a really a, a, there's like an iconic famous scene of his uh, where he's doing this cold turkey. The scene's like 12 minutes, and you know you believe it. Like his snot is like lime green coming out of his nose. Like you really believe that he's going cold turkey. And I was like a step away from that. I didn't realize how much like if you take sugar out of your and I mean everything. Rice, potatoes, soda, fruit, anything sweet. Like I, for the first twenty-one days, I didn't know if I was going to make it or not. And it's to the point I had to have people stay over to stop me, yeah, from going to Postmates or you know any of those things. So and then did you break through? Did you get that second wind where all of a sudden you were like, I don't crave it. I'll say by day 30, then I became, like, determined. Like, yeah. it was like building a, a, a mile-high Jenga yeah. that... But you knew you could do it. You didn't want to break. So, defiantly, I was like... You know, there have been moments where, like, I'm watching them eat spaghetti or... You know, especially especially at work. I'll say this much. As much as I hated Dr. Oz's presence at 30 Rock across the hall from us... Because when he... <laughs> when we... You know, we were first on the air... And this leads into how, like, some of the food about got made because, like, every world-class chef comes on The Tonight Show. And in the beginning, you're like, oh, my God, I'm 
eating something that Martha Stewart created. Or, you know, like uh, Dominique Gansel yeah, come you in. You got to get in there. Right. And you're like, ah, oh, I'm so lucky. And then, it, you know, just came to the point where, like, I mean, a, between like April Bloomfield and like, you know, Chang sending us like all this cookies and everything, that's how you bloomed up. Yeah. Like my greatest experiment. Do you remember when KFC invented uh KFC invented that double down burger? Oh yeah. But there was no bun, <laughs> just two chicken patties. <laughs> the, like, ch- the chicken was yeah. the bread. Yeah, genius. <laughs> so one time I was like, I'm a conducted experiment and I sent an intern to go get fifty of those. And um <laughs> I tweeted out I was like free double down burgers and you know, in the in the hallway and um uh, of course, it, it was going in ten minutes. Everybody was lined up, and you know, yeah. and that was literally the most slowest, lethargic, like tonight show taping oh, ever. Yeah. You don't feel good. Like Higgins was like, yeah. and here he is, <laughs> James. Like that's that's how so, it was. So, so what do you do now? Because like one thing about New York, and especially in your being in the entertainment industry, so much of your job or one's job in that world is literally being out. Being mm-hmm. social, going to Momofuku Sambar, and someone's getting the bosom and all that sort right. of stuff, and you want to be part of the crowd, and you have like a, a bandmates, manager, all that. I didn't realize how central food was to everything I do. But, I mean, you, but you do throwing, with, with this. But with this book, that's how people get together. They exactly, get together around food. Exactly. And food's almost an excuse to get together. So imagine f- trying to find an alternative to that. You know, um, I I dropped. I dropped sugar. I stopped looking. Uh, I, I stopped this whole uh, counting the days like a prisoner. Mm-hmm. When I got past one fifty, mm-hmm. so well. Uh, truth be told, I, I got a. Uh, there's an app on that counts days for you, so you don't have to do that. Because it was to the point where like, all right, six p.m. Come on down. One hundred nineteen days, Mark. You know that sort of thing, and it was driving me crazy. So I think by like one fifty something. Uh, I stopped counting. And then, uh, you know, another thing is when the weight started to melt and the compliments come in, um, I handled it way better than the first time I did. The first time, so this is the second time I I went through a weight transformation. And the first time um, I did it as a diet and not as a lifestyle or as in terms of therapy. So for me... Being that exposed, like not having a protective shield of weight, not being used to people being so nice to me and, you know, yeah. oh, wait, I could date this actress now? Like, <laughs> wait, suddenly I'm cute and I became like super cynical. But now, I mean, I, I have ways. Of, well, first of all, alternative foods, there's way more options than there were the first time around I did in the late 90s. Well, so you, you, you know, you came out with that Questlove cheesesteak and there was that ginormous piece in New Yorker last week or so about impossible mm-hmm. foods and this notion I think like I feel like there's less of a stigma now about plant-based or vegetarian or vegan that like oh no like there's delicious food out there and eating that way doesn't make you a hippie or whatever. a weirdo you know, right. it doesn't make you right. mean you're hanging out at the health food store from the 1970s I was one of the yeah I was definitely one of those people clowning like my sister was world famous for like you know this type of diet or what is that tofu yeah out of here exactly. yeah like the way that see the thing is that, you know and I don't want people to mistake uh I mean impossible burgers are 
equal in in calories as something that's regular. Well, especially if you put cheese and mayonnaise and bread and everything right. else on there. Right. You know, I mean, my involvement with with Impossible Burgers probably more or less to do with that it's just cleaner for the environment. Yeah. A cleaner option. I mean, and definitely, yes. Uh, it, it's I don't consider it a lesser of evil, but. You know, it's definitely calorically. It's not doing. I mean, that's what that the New Yorker profile, which if you haven't read it, Tad Fran wrote it. Um, yeah, recommend anyone out there. But just the notion of it's not this, a diet. Can this change the way food production around the world runs? I think that's you know, important, environmentally speaking. That's important, and the fact that I mean, what really drew me to it is the fact that uh, I mean, I, I I did a blind test with with Shake Shack of all things, and I kept choosing Impossible Burger. Mm. And it's, you know, not bad. Like, hardcore vegans are still, like, you know, eh, you know I prefer uh, Beyond over here. <laughs> and I know, I, I understand the logic. Impossible burgers are made for cats like me. Well, they they want to appeal to the, the majority of the world, not because if there's, I don't know, there's 5% vegetarians out there right. worldwide, but they want to appeal to the 95%. And can you whittle that crowd down? Hardcore vegetarians and vegans all told me that the problem with Impossible Burger is that it tastes too much like, like the real me. thing, yeah. and that's that's what they're not their palate's not used to that. So they trust beyond sort of field goal, yeah, as opposed to Impossible's hail mary touchdown. So where so where are you at now? Do you feel like you're in control now? Are you still counting the days? What is your relationship to food now compared to ten years ago? I'm in control. One, I, I, there's better options. Well, okay. One, I, I hired a, a full-time chef because the thing was, left to my own devices, oh, God, especially in the age of Postmates. Oh, my God. I am never, I'm never worse that when I'm home alone and my wife is out my kid's asleep, I feel like I deserve mm-hmm. it, and I order all this Chinese food, and I just sit there, and I eat the whole thing. <laughs> if I was out with two other people, I would share it, but if it's by myself, I have no governor. If, I can't if, control myself. If you're by, I think when you're by yourself, everyone turns into Tom Cruise at the beginning of Risky Business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, just sliding, sliding across the living room floor. The, fir- the week that post, uh, man, there's a 24-hour Popeye's in Brooklyn. Hmm. Dog. They did, you, did you ever never get the fried chicken sandwich? Did you ever sample it when it came out? I you know, did not deal I got with it. I got lucky. I didn't realize that it was a thing thing that people were like waiting around the block. It happened. I got off the subway. There's one right around the corner of me on 23rd, and this was I guess it just started. I got off the subway at like 6 p.m. and there was a line out the door on Eighth Avenue. I'm like, what is going on here? And I'm like, oh yeah. I got I got lucky there. there so I'm I'm kind of new to this whole Comic Con. I'm I'm doing a Disney film. Uh, okay. So I didn't know what a D23 was, which is D23 is like Disney's version of Comic-Con. We're like Wait, you're doing when you're you're doing music or voiceover or I'm or I'm, are you a I'm in an actual I'm I thought they were pitching me to score the film. Do you They're have a like costume? No, I'm I'm in a Pixar <laughs> film. Oh, okay. And at the end I was like, "Okay, so how much music you want?" They're like, "No, you're in the movie." I was like, Rrr. "Anyway, that that's said a, That's a good sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> that said when they did the the character reveal of everyone, like Tina Fey and Jamie Foxx yeah. and me and everyone, it just so happens that at Disney there was a, a a Popeyes like down the block, and I saw like a small line. I was like, wait a minute, I heard about this thing. People standing, but the line was so small because it's in Disney. Yeah. So I was like, all right, this is probably the quickest I can get one. So I only had to wait twenty minutes for it. 
I did it. It's more of I think it's it's more of a, a great marketing spin than anything. Yeah, I feel like it turned into just like an Instagram opportunity, so people could say they went and got it. I mean, exactly. Like, you live anywhere now. There's amazing fried chicken sandwiches. You can go to the Commodore in Brooklyn or I mean, any place and get a great fried chicken sandwich. So the, I'm like, how much better could it be? And I'm a big Popeyes fan from growing up mm-hmm. in DC back in the day. But I'm like, I don't know. I'm sure it's fine. It is what it is. Your book, Something to Food About, you talked to all these chefs from Daniel Hume, uh, Nathan Mirvold, and Modernist Cuisine, all mm-hmm. sorts of people about that, about that creative process and sort of the notion of being a chef, comparing that to being whether a musician, a comedian, and like the creative process. Mm-hmm. You gave, you told a great story on Malcolm Gladwell pod about DJing the sort of the going away party the for White Obama's at the White House. <laughs> and you kind of wrapped it up with, mm-hmm. with the president coming to you saying, yeah, well, you know, sometimes you just got to give the people what they want. Right. What do you think that balance is? If you're like a chef coming to food, like the balance between giving people what they want, but also making them think and challenging them and introducing them to something new. I think, I think there's an expectation factor when you're dealing with, I, and I still don't know how to categorize the Ludos of the world or the homes of the world mm-hmm. or, you know, where you're not going to, you're not going to eat full uh, food to get full, you know, to satisfy your hunger. I think you're there for like uh, an immersive art experience. Yeah. Okay. So th- let's go back to 11 Madison. Like when you go there, I expect bells and whistles, you know, they, might play three card money with you, they mm-hmm. do a magic trick, you color in something like that's the fun of it to me. So I expect something totally weird from them. Or you, even even with uh, Dave Barron, who used to have uh, Next in Chicago. Sure. With Grand Ackett's joint. Yeah. So one time he did an experiment. He called it trash. And I thought they were trolling me because the entire staff like snuck out the kitchen and like was like creeping behind the wall like to see like, like that Mikey life commercial Mikey thing. Likes it. Right. They were looking like here, em, em, you, Emma here, who's 20, whatever, has no idea what Mikey likes it is. She's like, no. Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can Google it on YouTube. Yeah. It's just, it, it, I thought they were, he, he gave me a plate and it was eggshells. Uh, Literally. A, it, was, it was, it was trash. It yeah. was, it was what you would call uh, compost or yeah. whatever. Yeah. It was eggshells, uh, a bone, a fish bone. Um, an eye. I hope it was a fish. Yeah. <laughs> Not a human eye. Uh, an eye, a foot of maybe a chicken foot or something like that. Literally things that you would never, ever think Dude, to eat. Throw away, yeah. And he put it in front of me, and I thought, like, okay, or, you know, where's Ashton? Like, yeah. that sort of thing. He's like, go ahead, eat it. So it took me, like, 10 minutes to, like, figure out how to navigate it from the plate to eating it. And I was like, all right, get a spoon. And what I'll do is I'll put a little bit on my plate, and then I'll close my eyes and eat it. And the eyeball was there, and and it was the best thing I ever tasted. Wait, why? Because, I mean, he lives for that. So, wait, his follow-up was dessert. He says, okay, all right, I'm going to get you a banana split. And he comes back and puts a tossed salad in my feet. And I was like, huh? I said, is this another trick? He's like, yeah, "Yeah, it's a banana split. Sure enough... The lettuce was like the sweetest tasting mm. vanilla caramel lettuce. The the tomatoes were like strawberries. Yep. The radishes were like walnut flavored. Like it lit. I mean, texture wise, you knew it was a salad. Yeah. But it was like, it was it was dessert. 
And, you know, I mean, it's for me, it's like for those for those guys that infuse science and all that stuff in their food. Like I I consider it art more than I consider it food. So you want an experience you want to think when you go there somewhat. Yeah. I mean, you have expectations of it. So I would like to think that I'm somewhere in between a well-experienced wedding DJ and a shaman. Do you understand in terms of well, what the, the, the wedding do? DJ gives the gives the the drunk guests exactly what they want? They give them what they yeah. want, and you know a shaman. They're gonna play it takes two and all that stuff, and <laughs> yeah. But with a shaman, um, if you're into like deep meditation, there's a whole presentation with music and noises, and you you meditate, and it's supposed to, you know, it does something to you spiritually. And I'd like to think of myself somewhere in between there. Okay, so the first person in uh, something food about uh, Nathan Miraval. Yeah, who isn't traditionally a chef? He's a food explorer of sorts. Yeah, but I'm uh, to to go. Have you ever been in modernist cuisine? Out I've there? met with or him before. I've been, I've been, I, I, no, I haven't been out so there. So basically, he's Willy Wonka. Yeah. And when you when he gives you a tour of the whole place, you know, you see robots and things that you're not supposed to Instagram that'll come out nine years from now and you know, and his kitchen and all that stuff. But it's like, you know, in my line of work, um, I often service the everyday blue collar person. Yeah. So I know it's gonna be I know that my celebrity will only allow me a little bit of leeway. If I want to figure out how I can make sense of playing a Benny Goodman song, a Roy Orbison song, a James Brown song, a Run DMC song, and Taylor Swift. Like that's. And keep the party going. I can keep it going, but it's like I, I have to turn everything into a CSI episode. So when I, all right, so I'm, I'm about to do a, a quasi high profile wedding in two weeks. And this couple, it's kind of- They, might, they might be insulted if they listen and find out they're only quasi high profile <laughs> and not like legit high profile. <laughs> okay, the, the, the groom is a is a, a celebrity musician and, and the bride is a very well-respected fashion world uh, okay. person. And they're culturally very different. She comes from a very strict religious background, and he uh, is a rock star. And so both of their families are coming. And so it's going to be a challenge because, you know, I have, I'm thinking of what he is like musically, um, which is kind of the opposite of what I can do with her, you know, like, with her family, but th- I mean, I th- I personally think creatively those parameters are what make the creative process interesting. And it's like if you're Daniel Hume at Eleven Madison or Heston Blumenthal at Fat Duck, like how do you make food that's really thought provoking, but also delicious enough so that people come back? If you're an art rock band and you only want to sell ten albums, you can do whatever you want and no one cares. You still have to get that. I want to make people satisfied while still sort of challenging their notions. But I'm I'm noticing. There, there's something I discovered maybe like a year and a half ago that I didn't realize is that you you also can't discount because the thing is as a DJ I can't wait for one a.m. because one a.m. I know they at least have three to four drinks in them <laughs> then oh my god three to four drinks in them 
I'm going to play Fozzie Bear and Kermit's Moving Right Along from the Muppet movie. You know, I'll I'll do more of my riskier moves once I know that they're looser and alcohol is consumed. And it's the same, it's definitely the same with restaurants because the tasting menu for wine is also a big part of it. And a lot of the riskier experimental foods happen during like course five, six, and seven. So yeah. you're kind of already open for the ride anyway. So um, One thing you mentioned in uh, something of food about, um, at the time that you did that book, you acknowledged in the intro that there was a lack of diversity in whether you want to call it fine dining or yeah. contemporary dining. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like since then, you have chefs like Kwame Anwuche in D.C. and, and Michelle Mabelli in, in, in down in Atlanta and Water mm-hmm. Jordan in uh, Seattle, and you have them in your book. Like, How do you think things have evolved in the last three years and that sort of national dining scene? There's definitely a, 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 a paradigm shift going on across all spectrums not even in the food world but in entertainment and and you know politically we're still trying to figure that one out we still have a 70 whatever year old white guy <laughs> potentially running against another 70 <laughs> potential year old yeah but white it, guy. it's 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 setting off i mean it's setting yeah. off a change uh it's setting off a change which yeah. which is kind of weird because the change that obama spoke of like i think the domino effect is really happening now yeah like so and i'm certain that you know in retrospect trump will probably try to take credit for that too like you know even as the bad guy i caused change in a way that he never could you know that sort of thing <laughs> i think i think it's just a matter of time i know that in the 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 circle in the spaces that i've been in it's not done in the way that is more red carpety yes let's include you too like i mean i have a lot of conversations cuz Nine times out of ten, if I'm invited into a space uh, that I have to give an opinion or create something culturally that previously no one that looks like me uh, has been on, you know, I'm, I'm on a lot of boards of things. I, I, I usually know it's like okay, and then I'll tell my manager like okay, they're, they're trying to cover their ass, right? And so. The the six six of us just got invited into this thing to, <laughs> and now everyone's got to look you know, at you when a certain topic's brought up and like, what do you think? Right, exactly. Yeah. No, I've I've been in that situation before. So you know, uh, it, again, it's like you know, is is a field goal as crucial and important as a a, a, a well done touchdown, or you know, does it still win it, win a game? Yes, it does. You know, more power to him, especially with with Kwame's story, because you know, I've been to his first restaurant. Oh, Shaw Bijou? Yeah. You're one of the few. <laughs> and I know. It, it, I, I got lucky with time. And, you know, when when it when it was no more, I, you know, even I wondered, like, damn, like, is it is it really? I know that starting restaurants is one of the hard, like, I know. Cause. Well, yeah, I mean, that his story, and he was on the pod, and that just the, the investors, and then shit starts to go sideways, and all of a sudden, everyone's at each other's throats. It's and, hard to do. Right. You know, it's hard to maintain. So you don't I'm get so, that money back. You can spend half a million, a million bucks on a restaurant, and if it out of business in two months you've done broadway that's it. sort of performances you know it's like nope shutting it down that's that no I, I had i mean for a year i was at chelsea market i was the bell of the ball at chelsea markets with uh with hybrid with hybrid yeah, yeah. so uh, why'd you I, get out of that what happened with that you know to tell you the truth of all the circles i've been in and that's comedy circle music circle the movie world 
I fear, I fear the the food world the most because there there are there are plenty of people thriving in this marketplace that you know you would see it as the kind of equivalent of buying your way into a fraternity or sorority without having to go through Hayes Week or mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, and I know people are really big on respect and, you know, and not just like buying your way in. I mean, Sam Jackson used to make uh, this a major issue uh, with rappers uh, suddenly taking roles that should have gone to well-experienced actors, yeah. you know. And then, so I didn't want that situation. What I, what I, what I did want was... Um, really just a year or two and this is before before we started doing the food salons we we wanted a a good year of at least uh establishing relationships with uh the the gatekeepers and the tastemakers of of the food world and i felt like this was an honorable way to do it i mean to at least show them that you're chicken, committed. Chicken to, and I are fond of each yeah. other. But, <laughs> so. but then, hey, I'm not just I'm not a dilettante. I'm actually committed to opening a place and yeah, I'm not giving just, it a shot. Right. But is um, it, it, was it a but business wise, did it make sense? Is it worth the headache? Is it like running business, running a food um, food business? Is slim I margins. Wanted, I, okay, t- I think that for anyone getting into the food business, especially in terms of like, especially in Manhattan, you're going to have to commit you're gonna to have to really commit seven years and you know take some losses and those things i think to get and you, out and you literally had 16 other jobs literally yeah i think to get the plan was always like let's do a year let's see what's up and when it came time to renew it it was like well we got the relationships already like why don't we just skip to the fourth grade and start doing the food salons, yeah. which is all we wanted to do in the first place. And the food salons are at your place, and you're building, having people over, have a chef cook yeah. some food and just hang out. The impetus and- of the new book is basically, well, I mean, this is me having uh, guests come to bring uh, uh, a meal, but my food salons are are at my house, and I have like three notable people, so it's like Kwame will come by, or Ansel, Dominic Ansel will come by, uh, uh, and then a lot of those guest chefs and guests find their way into this book as contributing recipes. Yeah. Eric Rip, yeah. like they'll it's they'll come bad, by. Not a bad guy to come by. Yeah, I mean that, and that's the thing. It's it's from the nuanced relationship of, and a lot of them were just curious. Like, okay, the root drummer has a fried chicken right. spot. Let's see what's up with that. And you know, it's like once you get their respect, and then you can nuance relationships. So uh, it was just we were already ahead. Let's just get out and go to the next level. You talk a lot about Soul Train as being a sort of a formative show in your childhood, like your Proust Madeline, if you will. What is your Soul Train of food from growing up? What do you look back on? Well, it's weird you ask that because um, I was I was trying to explain to my my assistant. I was trying to explain to her. We the we just did a show at the Apollo the other day, so we drove by Sylvia's, and I was trying to tell her that at one point this was like the culinary epicenter of every African-American, like soul food. But I was explaining to her that, you know, soul food was more like survival food. And now today it's it's high-end cuisine. You know what I mean? And and the, the, the way that it's surviving 
is more from a tourist angle. So when you go yeah. to Sylvia's now, it's it's families from Japan and people from Australia, people from Europe lined out like on Sundays. Yeah, Sunday morning's crazy. Totally, yeah. It's 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 the opposite of what its demographic was 50 years ago. And I was explaining to her like, for now, for for survival food, nine times out of ten, it's probably uh, Asian takeout. You know, you cousins in the next generation like to them in, instead of like you know when i was growing up survival food was okay you got to have grits for breakfast put sugar and butter in it now it's oatmeal dinner you you put a pound of government cheese in it now it's like you know some sort of half polenta half you know <laughs> <laughs> souffle thing like you you would have to make grits a you know it, it was part of your everyday and now it's like seen as a high-end food so now survival food is more uh chinese takeout and so for me at the beginning like i, I remember when ten dollars was a full soul food meal but now you know average restaurant i eat at you know it's definitely in the the the, the three figures which is kind of crazy yeah. to me it's like no, wow, it's, no, it's crazy. But but if you go back to Philly and you're gonna have one meal, your mom's gonna cook one meal or something. What what would that meal be? And it's not a cheesesteak. Well, no, it's something <laughs> a home cooked. Home cooked. My mom's uh, okay. My mom used to make her version of uh, arroz con pollo. Okay. She used to call Roya. I used to call it Roya Capoya. <laughs> um, but yeah, hers was the best ever. So that's that's like her her uh, signature meal to me all right we're gonna do lightning round lightning round okay. you get either or questions you gotta answer oh wait top golf i read that somewhere in a gq article yeah i, I it's not coming to phil i would love to bring that to philadelphia how's to your Virginia. swing it's better the girl i was dating at the time she murdered me in that game which kind of motivates down you no murdered and then <laughs> <laughs> we stopped dating after that <laughs> You can't beat me in sports. All right, ready? Yes. Either are. Wiz or provolone? I'm going to break the rules. All right. Wiz. Mm, okay. Do, do you have a preferred cheesesteak joint in Philly that you recommend to people who aren't from there? I have a top five. Okay. Wow. All right. Let's go. Uh, number five is George's Cheesesteaks on Gerard Avenue. Number four is Ishka Bibbles uh, on South Street, incidentally named after... Mo at the Three Stooges because his mm. last name is Ishka Bibble. Fun fact. Number three, I will give to Cosme's in South Philadelphia. I believe that Cosme's uh, would weekly feed the entire Sopranos oh, wow. crew and cast by uh, shipping up hoagies and cheesesteaks there. That's how they stay so hefty. Yeah. <laughs> Number two... Uh, is Tony Luke's. Okay. Uh, and if you're a New Yorker, there's a legit Tony Luke's right across the street from uh, your stadium in Brooklyn. Uh, Barclays. Barclays yep. Center. And I'm giving, they're going to kill me for this, I'm I'm going to give my number one cheesesteak to Delisandro's. Okay. Uh, Why? Because um, it's everything you want in a cheesesteak. It's, it's when the bag is is oily by the time you get home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you're going to eat it and you might have to go to the hospital afterwards, <laughs> then that's the right cheesesteak. Right. <laughs> All right, next question. Off the wall or thriller? Off the wall. 
All right. Phillies, Flyers, Sixers, or Eagles? You get one to watch the rest of your life. Uh, all right. Let's see, Gritty makes me love the Flyers. <laughs> I was going to be Gritty for Halloween. Eagles give me hope. Sixers need – Sixers are right there. I feel like this is going to be their year. They are on the cusp. Yes. Sixers – I'm going with Sixers. All right. Drumstick, thigh, or breast? Wing. Oh, wing. How did I forget the wing? Wing. Wow. I'm going to get I'm gonna get demerits for that one. Yeah. Uh, Twitter or Insta? Instagram. Instagram. You've got two accounts. You've got your own and then you've got a food one? I have four. You I have, have four. Jesus. Questlove Supreme, my my iHeartRadio podcast, uh, Questlove's Food, and then Questlove. And I, I think I'm still in the roots, so okay. that, that counts, right? <laughs> food for thought or food for pleasure? Food for pleasure, but don't overdo it like I did. <laughs> Triangle slice or square slice? <sighs> Man. Okay. I live in Chinatown. Which is five blocks away from scars. Yeah, damn, you're good. Well, we got a lot of scars. There's a lot of love for scars at BA. Do you feel it? Oh yeah, well I'm there too often. Yeah, but they they do a really good square pie. I mean, they mostly have the round pies, but the square pies are surprisingly good there. I mean, okay, so what is your for you? Because there's two spots I like in New York. There's a place on Fulton called Little Italy. Okay. Their crust is buttery mm -hmm. and crispy, which I love. And then on 7th Avenue, right uh, where it's kind of a triangle that's near the, the firehouse where all those dedications for 9-11 uh, yeah. uh, firefighters were, there's a, a, a pizza spot right on the corner. That well, there's I don't know. I think there's Bleecker Street Pizza right by, but it's Barrow like right and, in that tri triangle. And that, then there's also Joe's, which is on. I think you know, this this I might be. This one is. Yeah, it it's on Seventh Avenue, and right when you make that little left, that would on lead Greenwich you, Avenue. It's like the, yeah, yeah, the Greenwich Avenue turn. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a pizza spot there, and only know them because they're always like, oh, the guy from Kimmel. Like no, no, Kimmel. But uh, yeah, it's to the point now. It's like five years in. I'm like, yeah, it's it's me. Um, yeah, th those those are the spots. But you know, and I and I tried. I, I did the line standing one in in Dumbo, Grimaldi's. Oh, Grimaldi's. I don't. I still. What do you feel about lines. the? What do you feel about the 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 families? Grimaldi's and Patsy's and all that. I just don't care. I mean, I, I feel I love them. I I love the history of them. I just. I at at our age, Amir, if I may, I just don't have time to wait in line. So for you, what is it? I mean, I love uh, I do love scars. I like a good s sausage and onion is my preferred topping from right. going all in. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been making at home a lot. Uh, we do a lot of you make a I buy dough at Italy over here. They have good fresh dough. I know that you heat up a skillet really hot, put the dough in the skillet, cover it with cheese and sauce, put it back in the oven, so you get cast iron skillet pizza. Gets super crispy on the bottom. Puffs up, gets all charred. I'm gonna show you a photo on my phone. You're gonna be like, "Damn!" Emma's like telling us to keep it moving. All right, next question, uh, John or Paul? George. Oh come <laughs> on! <laughs> no, for I'm, I'm a Paul guy. Okay. Uh, he could write a hit. Questlove or Amir? Are we friends? 
Oh, that's what I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know what to call you. So I'm, you, we're you, friends now, okay, right? We're friends. Amir. Okay, there you go. That's the answer. All right. Last question. We ask this to all our guests: butter or olive oil? Coconut oil. Oh God, damn! I'm sorry. <laughs> I like. That. We've never gotten that one before. I do everything with coconut oil. Uh, Amir Questlove Thompson. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced and edited by Emma Wurtzman, with additional programming help from Carrie Polis and Elise Namine. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to reach out to us about this episode or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.